0: All right, thank you, Daughters of Faith, beautiful song. Enjoy these Easter lilies up here, isn't that great? Thanks to everyone who's purchased those, that's, that's wonderful. I heard about one church, though, that, that had um, Easter lilies and poinsettias in the church, because some people have never seen the church without one or the other. Christmas and Easter only, Christians. I, I'm sure you guys are not one of those. Okay, oh well. I tell you, it's a slow crowd today. (laughs) Uh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems to be getting a little darker in this world. By darkness, I mean the prevailing fog of satanic deception and also the increasing darkness of sinful living. It seems that some places are darker than others. Places like Las Vegas and Hollywood and places like the secular college campus. Places where the fog of darkness of political correctness seems to be settling down over us. Corinth in Acts chapter 18 was a very dark place. It was notorious for its loose living and debauchery. And into this city, darkened by sin, comes the light of the gospel, and the church is founded. Follow along as I read in Acts chapter 18 as Paul ministers in Corinth, verses 1 to 17. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justus, one who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all of his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and 6 months teaching the word of God among them. When Galio was proconsul of The Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if this is a question of words and names of your own law, look to it yourself, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Galileo took no notice of these things. Let's pray. Father... We come in your presence today and thank you for your inspired word. We know, oh God, it gives an accurate depiction of what happened there in Athens. But God, you also use your word to speak to your children today. So Father, may our mind be open, may our hearts be ready to hear what you want us to learn. In Jesus' name, amen. Corinth. It was the capital of the province of Achaia, which is modern day Greece. It was a great commercial center and it was famed for its temple of Aphrodite on its Acropolis in which 1,000 sacred prostitutes contributed their sordid influence to the morals of the city and the sex trade was thriving in Corinth. The city of Athens... And Corinth were only 50 miles away from each other. And Paul had been in Athens. But they were very different in their culture. Athens was noted for its culture and learning. Corinth for its commerce and immorality. In 146 B.C., the Romans destroyed. The, they leveled the city of Corinth because there was a, a Roman revolt in the city. But in 46 B.C., Julius Caesar decided to rebuild the ancient city of Corinth. And by the Paul's day, which was about 100 years after that, it was a thriving, relatively new city. It was also the host of the Isthmian Games, which is something like the Olympic Games, and they were held every two years. So the mission team lands in Corinth, and first we notice they enlist... Devoted helpers in verses one through five, in verse one, we see that Paul arrives in Corinth, verse two, he found a certain Jew named Aquila, who was born in Pontius, but who had recently come from Italy with his life wife Priscilla. Now the Jews had to leave Rome, and the Emperor Claudius had ordered all of them to leave the city, and there was a certain historian a secular historian writing about that time by the name of Suetonus. And he said that the banishing of the Jews from Rome was because they were indulging in constant riots at the instigation of Crestus. Most likely, that is a reference to Christ. So, What is happening there, the the emperor kicked the Christians and the Jews out of the city because the Jews were always opposing the Christians everywhere they went. You know, when Paul went to a synagogue, he was kicked out. There was always this this division in there. And so the Roman emperor said, I'm done with it. You guys lit. So Aquila and Priscilla used to live in Rome and they came down to Corinth to start their business again, which happened to be tent makers. Now, most likely, uh, Aquila and Priscilla weren't saved under Paul's ministry. They perhaps were part of the founding of the Roman church up there. But now they're now in Corinth making tents for a living. And I can imagine when Paul went to Corinth, the first place that he wanted to do was, well, I'm going to have to work here. I don't have very, very much money to get started, so I'm going to have to support myself while I'm, I'm preaching the gospel. So he went to the local tent makers, and just so happened that Aquila and Priscilla, already believers, met Paul, and they're immediately on Paul's team. Just so happened. <laughs> just so happened. It's a God thing, isn't it, folks? You see that in your life? When God sometimes directs people your way that it just seems or he provides for you or arranges circumstances, God is in the business of connecting people with where they need to be. And that's how Aquila and Priscilla became part of Paul's team. And they begin a synagogue ministry, Notice in verse 5. Or verse 4, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. And this is Paul's pattern going there. Now he's got Aquila and Priscilla on the team, and they're going and teaching the gospel in in the synagogue there. Well, we see also somebody else comes back to the team in verse 5. We got Silas and Timothy. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia... Paul was compelled by the Spirit, testifying to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. I can imagine the breath of fresh air that finally when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia. Now, Macedonia is is, uh, the the Philippi, where he had planted that church. He had left him there to help them out a little bit, and he went ahead, and now he is in uh, Corinth. And finally, Silas and Timothy is there to encourage him. I think that it's great to have other believers around you that are involved in serving the Lord. And this is such an encouraging thing to a pastor when I see people... Find an area in their their gift and in their passion that they love to serve God in. Might be giving, might be teaching, it might be singing, it might be working in a security team or with children. But finding that gift and serving the Lord and there's great joy and we see that that t- team is coming together and everybody's finding their place. It was a breath of fresh air for Paul. There was another encouragement that Paul got from that, the, another member of the team that's kind of different, different, and we don't see it in these verses of Scripture, but you know when Paul was joined by Silas and Timothy, they came from Philippi, in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we find what these b- believers brought to Paul. 2 Corinthians eleven nine says, and when I was present with you, meaning with the Corinthians, and in need... I needed someone to financially help me. I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia, Silas and Timothy, supplied. And in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. Well it was a gift that the church in Philippi had sent along with Silas and Timothy they had taken an offering even though they were very poor themselves they'd taken up an offering i hear that Paul's down in Corinth Timothy and Silas will you take this money i mean it's like blood sweat and tears from from their own sacrificial giving and they gave it to Saul Silas and Timothy please take that to brother Brother Paul in Corinth so that he could fully dedicate himself to preaching the gospel. So when he got this offering... He was able to put his tent making aside for a while so that he could plunge himself headlong into the work of the ministry. As Paul was descending down into the darkness of Corinth with the light of the gospel there were folks holding the ropes for him by their missionary giving. And folks when you give to the work of the Lord, when you give to missions, you are helping someone to plunge into the gospel preaching ministry. So you're a Part Of that team, as well, so we see here that Paul had this wonderful team enlisting encouraging workers. But as they continue on their ministry, they were facing stiff opposition in verse six. we read this: Paul is preaching in the synagogue, but when they opposed him and blasphemed, they opposed him and They blasphemed. They said, what is this blasphemy? They're Jews. They're not supposed to blaspheme. They definitely wouldn't blaspheme Jehovah or anything. They were blaspheming Jesus. When Paul was teaching about Christ, Jesus being the Messiah, And the the people in the synagogues there in Corinth, which was a rather large synagogue, according to historians, they had there all these Jews. And I can imagine as he was preaching about the resurrection, preaching about Jesus, someone in the back stood up and says, who is Jesus? And they were blaspheming his name. Somebody else over there. And so the opposition got so loud that Paul couldn't continue on his ministry in doing that. So he had to say this, he shook his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. That doesn't mean that he's never going to preach in another Jewish synagogue again. He was done in Corinth. They had crossed over the line. They had blasphemed the name of Jesus. And he says, your blood be upon your own head. I think there's some lessons we can learn from that. I think the first lesson is when God is working, the devil will be active also. Have you noticed that? <laughs> I think the devil's been active in our church. I mean, we've got several people come down with COVID. I mean, at the, end, at the end of COVID season, I was looking forward to it all being over and then boom. But you know, I don't think it's not necessarily an act of the devil that causes these things. But he has a way of using these things to get us in a sinful attitude, doesn't he? I tell you, when things go wrong in your life, how you react is the most important thing about it. Do you maintain your joy? Do you start blaming other people for this? Do you start abandoning yourself from faithfulness to God So that's where the devil really gets in here and causing a wrong reaction. But Paul also says, your blood is on your own head. And he shook out his clothes. It it was uh, the parallel in the earlier parts of Acts where Paul and Barnabas shake the dust from their feet when they were in one city and they cast them out of the city. The idea of blood being on your head is from Ezekiel chapter 33, where the prophet was told to go and speak to these people. And if you don't speak to these people, then the blood is on your own hands. You didn't give them a chance to hear the gospel. You have bloody hands. And here, Paul says, the blood's not on my hands. I am clean. I've told you the truth. Now the blood's on your own head. In other words, the responsibility is on you for believing or not. And Paul said, I am clean. I wonder if we could say that about the people that we are around. Have we spoke to them about the Lord? Have we witnessed to our coworkers? Have our family members heard the word of truth? Do they know that? Have you witnessed to them in some way so we can say we are clean as well? Well, another lesson I can learn from this. Fruit grows in spite of opposition. When Paul said in verse 6, From now on I will go to the Gentiles. Verse 7, And he departed from there. He left, he left the synagogue and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who had worshipped God. Now, he left the synagogue, he went out, outside of the city, outside of the synagogue, and there was a guy that was in that synagogue who was saved. His name was, the, another version has Titius Justice, which is probably the name Gaius also, but just keep that in mind. He went out of the synagogue, and how far did he have to go? Did he have to go all the way across town? Did he have to go several blocks away out in the country where there was a farm? No. He went right next door. That's where justice lived. I tell you, you know something? When God closes one door, he's going to open another one for you. Isn't that something? And that is what God does in spite of opposition. When you get shut down one place, God opens up another opportunity because I want to tell you, it's his gospel. He is the one in charge of saving souls. We're just the ones that get the privilege of going to share it with other people. God closed one door, but he opened up another door. Maybe in your life, God is shutting down something. Maybe you're not able to do what you always did. And and you're kind of sad about that because I want to tell you, until God takes you to heaven, he's not done with you. He's got another door for you to open. And I see that fruit grows in spite of opposition. Not only did justice get saved, but in verse 8, notice, Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. That day they walked out of church It was not only Justice that went with him, but Crispus went because he was the leader of the synagogue. He went out as well. He he had believed and his whole household, in verse 8, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. God had done that. So we see that. Now, it's interesting that uh, the two people, Justice and Crispus, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes a letter to that church that he had founded there. And we read in verse 14 this. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Now the first guy, the, the, the guy's house was justice, Titius justice. But he's it's, it's probably the Gaius here. He's probably that guy, Gaius, that was saved. And Paul, most of the time didn't do the baptizing, but he did those. He baptized those two individuals. So we see that the synagogue leader and then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, got saved, hearing, believed, and were baptized. That is the biblical pattern. You hear the word, you believe, and then baptize. Well, ministry is tough, and Paul had a tough time. I mean, having people shout you down, people that blaspheme the name of Jesus, getting kicked out of the synagogue... At this point, he is needing some encouragement. And so God gives him some of those words of encouragement in verse 9 and following. Listen to these words. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid. That's the first thing he said. Do not be afraid. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, This is Paul's commentary on his feelings while he was in Corinth at this time. He said, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Now, how can we say Paul? I mean, he was trembling. He was afraid. I tell you what, he is a human being. He's just like us. And there's times in our life when we are weak spiritually when we're weak, when we're emotionally afraid, when things happen in our life that, that cause us to, to, to shelter and to cause us to go into our own little shell and we need someone to help us. And you know what? That is just the moment when God looked down and saw his, his, his great saint, Paul. I need to speak to this guy. So while he was sleeping, God gave him a vision and God spoke to him, and the first thing he said to Paul, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I am with you, he said in verse 10. And Paul felt the encouragement as God lifted him up. Paul had much opposition in other cities and now it's happening again in Corinth and he's facing an uphill battle and the Lord he knew that he needed to lift. Have you ever been there in your life when you just needed a little bit of good news? <laughs> you needed a little bit of an encouragement. There's been times on Sundays, sometimes when I pray in the morning as I prepare for the service, I said, Lord, today, I just need something happen. I just need to see you do something in this day. And you know, every time I pray that sincerely, God brings someone to me and says, I don't know who told you, but I needed that message today. And he gives me an encouragement. Or or someone shares with me how God had answered a prayer or how God had worked in their life or some good news in my own family. God is in the business of spreading some encouraging words to us as his children. And any time you call on him and say, Lord, today, please give me some kind of a encouragement. And he will answer you. He will give you that lift because you're one of his children. Well, God spoke some encouraging words to Paul. He says, I am with you. Do not be afraid. And then he said something else in verse 9. And I love this one. He said... Speak and do not keep silent. Oh my goodness. When I heard that, when I read that, I said, that's what Christians today need to hear. Speak. Do not be silent. Many Christians have been intimidated into silence today. Our culture is issuing a gag order on those of us who would oppose the political and culturally correct propaganda of the day. The cancel culture will call us haters. Do you see what they were doing with the Oral Roberts University? They were saying the writer of the USA Today sports section Lambasted Oral Roberts University. How dare they be allowed in the NCAA basketball tournament because they have the audacity of of believing and not believing in the LGBTQ plus agenda, and they actually have moral standards on their campus. And they were about ready to blow a gasket because. Uh, Oral Roberts lost today, so I'm sure, uh, yesterday, so I'm sure that that'll be off of the thing. But I tell you, if they're coming after ORU, they're going to come after you and me too. Because we have the same view. I tell you that the pressure is on to keep your mouth shut. One of my favorite uh, Bible teachers and authors is a guy by the name of Erwin Lutzer. And Erwin Lutzer was the president or the pastor of Moody Church for many years. And now he's the, the um, uh, what do they call him? Not the, uh, what do they call it? Emeritus. Yeah, I know it was something like that. He's the pastor emeritus. And he, his li- recent book that he wrote just in 2020 is called, We Will Not Be Silenced. And it's a call. It's a call for Christians and churches to not cave in to the constant shushing we get from the culture. and I had offered this for sale in the early service um, for 10 dollars. Uh, they're all gone, except one. So the first person after church that sees me and gives me 10 bucks, it's yours, OK? And if you don't get in line, you can get it from Christian Books or Amazon or whatever uh, for 10 bucks. Uh, it's available. Please read that. It, it'll give you encouragement to help you be aware. And it really fits in very well when God told Paul, speak and do not be silent. And then another thing that he said to this this guy that was Paul that was so discouraged at this time with the uphill battle in Corinth and the prevailing darkness that was around him. He said to Paul, I have many people in this city. There's many people that I know were going to be saved you Need to preach the gospel so those people can be saved. I have many people in that city. What what a wonderful encouragement. I believe God could say that to you and I as well. God could say that about Punta Gorda. I have many people in this city that are yet to call upon Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You need to give them the gospel. I, I believe he could say that about Port Charlotte, Northport, any of these communities. I have many people that need to hear the gospel many people that need to be saved another word of encouragement that paul received during this time is the spurious charges were dismissed paul got into trouble with the roman governor at this time his name was or proconsul it was said his name was galio in verse 14 the jews had had paul arrested brought before the, the council there and the judgment seat you might say, and Galileo was listening for a while, and then the Jews accused Paul of breaking the law, but it wasn't the law of Rome; it was the law of the Jews, and they were. Eh, Galileo was listening to the charges and listening about well, Paul doesn't believe in this this Old Testament and law or this law, and he's saying about Jesus, and then Galileo got the wind. Uh, the gist of this argument is, uh, just a minute, a minute. Paul was about ready to stand up and answer the charges, but Galileo said, no, sit down Paul, let me, let me handle this. He said, you Jews, this is a religious thing. Go and deal with it yourself. You have, if, if Paul was guilty of a crime, if he was a thief or a murderer, I would hear it, but just because it's a religious thing, I am not going to listen to that. And As the Jews got so mad, Paul was (laughs) protected. But they grabbed a guy by the name of Sosthenes, who was now the chief ruler uh, of the synagogue. After Crispus had left the synagogue to join with the Christians, they, they had another guy by the name of Sosthenes, and they ended up giving him a thorough beating. They beat the ruler of the synagogue that was there. And you know, it's, it's something, it's interesting as you compare 1 Corinthians with the book of Acts, something encouraging about Sosthenes in chapter 1, verse 1 says this, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. <laughs> he was, uh, the, the, another You might say, pastor of the synagogue got saved and joined the Christians. So God had given them encouragement. And now in verses 18 to 22, as the the time in Corinth is about being wrapped up, we see that, that missionaries were following God's direction. The first thing we see in verse 18, they were following God's direction to leave the work at Corinth. Verse 18, it says this, So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Sincrea, and he had taken a vow. We're not going to deal with that in this message, the the vow or anything like that. But God had directed him. It was time, Paul, it was time to leave town, leave this work. It's growing. There's people saved. You leave some workers here at Corinth, and you need to move on to the next missionary endeavor in your life. And I've seen God do that for Christians. I, I mean, I, I was really saddened today when a dear sister in the Lord uh, used to be involved in our church. is a snowbird lady, and, and they sold their, their place here, and they moving back north. And I, I shared, you know, God has got another ministry for you. And that happens a lot as you cycle through different stages of your spiritual life and your ministry life and your service in churches when God moves you to other locations. That's a hard thing for me as a pastor, as I see people say, pastor, we got to move and we got to transition to." But I believe God moves his people around at the area where they can be used the greatest. So Paul had to leave the work in Corinth and then God led him to stop in Ephesus in verse 19. Notice what it says there. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, meaning um, he left Priscilla and Aquila there. But he himself entered the synagogue with, and reasoned with the Jews. And when they had asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them. So we see that Aquila and Priscilla, he left them there in, in uh, Ephesus to help the believers. But Paul just wanted to stop there. But you notice in chapter 19, he's back. He's back in Ephesus. And then we'll see what God is doing in this great city of Ephesus, one of the strongest churches that were established under Paul's missionary journey that he spends three years in. But right now, he had a a feast to keep in verse 21. I will return to Ephesus after this feast. And then in verse 22... He ended that second missionary journey by going back to Antioch. And when he had landed, verse 22, at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. That is back where he started his missionary journeys. So what can we learn from Paul's time in the darkness of Corinth? A young girl once consulted with her pastor and said, Pastor, I just can't stick it out any longer. I'm the only Christian in the factory where I work. And I get nothing but taunts and sneers. And it's more than I can stand. I think I'm going to quit, find another job. Pastor said, will you tell me, asked the minister, as you're working in that factory, where are the lights located? lights? That's a strange question. I don't know. I didn't pay much attention. I imagine the lights are located in the dark places. (laughs) He said, yeah, and that is why you've been put in that factory where there's such spiritual darkness and where there's no other Christians to shine for the Lord. The young Female Christian realized for the first time the opportunity that was hers. She felt that she could not fail God by allowing her light to go out. So she went back to the factory with renewed determination to let her light shine in that dark corner. And before long, she was the means of leading nine other girls to the light. Corinth was a very dark city. We are called to occupy the darkness. It's fun. It's wonderful. It's warm to be in a place where there's a lot of light, like the house of the Lord. But God has called us to be the light in a dark place. Where is your dark place? Maybe it's that job that you work at. Maybe it's that that sports or that recreational activity. Maybe it's your extended family that's pretty dark. God has called us to be the light in that dark place. Another lesson I think that we need to learn is Jesus' words to Paul still echo, I have many people in this city. I have many people. And we never should lose sight of that. There's a lot of people out there that are unreached that have never had the opportunity to hear the gospel and God is going to call them. Will he use you to be a part of bringing those lost souls to himself? Oh, my friend, it's getting darker. It's getting darker. But then even a candle, even a small candle can shine brightly. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, for your encouraging words to your apostle and god i need to hear those words myself all the time don't be afraid i have many people in this city words like speak and do not be silent people need the lord they need to hear the gospel And if the church doesn't tell them, nobody will tell them the truth of God. God, help us to keep our light brining and help us, God, to keep our voice speaking. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.